the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Thessalonians. The Bible also says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to us in these last days for our sake. So you, you combine Ephesians 1, 4, says we were chosen in him before the creation of the world. 1 Peter 1, 20, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but is revealed in these last days for our sake. And you come to realize that God operates on a whole different plane. And he operates outside of time and space. The whole concept of choosing Jesus versus being chosen by Jesus can give you a headache. But hold on. Today's message will bring you a little clarity. Both things are true. You were chosen by God to be his child. But you also have the option to choose him. Confused yet? Pastor Gary will remind you that while all this is swirling around in your head, you need to remember and hold on to one thing. God is operating outside of our understanding. He is and will always be wiser. And we can trust Him, period. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me give you the background as we bring our study of 2 Thessalonians to a close tonight. And uh, as we look at the the last part of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, Thessalonica was a city in Paul's day of a population around 200 plus thousand now, there's about 350 to 380,000 people in Loudoun County. So the city of Thessalonica, very large city in Paul's day. Today it is called Salonica. Paul plants a church there, according to Acts 17, about the year 51-52 AD. He doesn't spend much time there. Acts 17 says only three weeks. So he gets this church planted. He gets it up and running He quickly invests in them in three weeks, does a crash course on Christianity 101 and 201, gets the people up to speed, and then he leaves. This is just the way that Paul traveled. This is what he rolled. He he planted a church, spent a little bit of time, invested, and then moved on. This was particularly a short amount of time, but for good reason, because Paul had to leave in haste. And so he writes 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians about a year after he was there, and those two letters are only a couple months apart, in order to help to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith, 
and to uh, help um, not only encourage them, but also correct them, because in his absence, they had begun to believe some things that weren't biblically true. They had accepted a false report. They had believed some letter that somebody said was written by Paul when it wasn't. And so they were believing things that weren't true. And so in part, Paul is writing this letter to correct them and to kind of set some things straight and to to help disciple them and just kind of bring them deeper in their walk with the Lord. Now, a major theme from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, as you've noticed if you've been with us through our study, has to do with the Lord's second coming. This is something that Paul wanted even the early church in 51-52 AD to be aware of. Now, here we are, 21st century Christ still has not returned, but he's coming. Don't worry. The Bible says that his patience is for as many people to get saved as possible. So the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, the Bible says, but he's wanting none to perish, but all to come to repentance. So God will be faithful to his word and Jesus will return. But even in Paul's day, in the first century, Paul was saying, now here's some things you need to know about the second coming. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he writes about the rapture of the church how there will be a generation that doesn't experience death and that the church will be physically snatched from the earth to go to be with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says we get to escape the coming wrath. So I don't personally believe in the pre-trib only because I think it's the biblical position of where the church is taken, but I also believe in the pre-trib rapture of the church out of personal selfish reasons because I don't want to go through the wrath of God. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about how he doesn't intend for us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God's going to rescue the church. We come into 2 Thessalonians, and he still is talking about the second coming, and he labors intensely on the subject of the Antichrist. That was last week's study out of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, talking about the, the man of lawlessness and the man doomed to destruction. Those are all phrases for the Antichrist, how he's coming Now, the reason why he's mentioning this to that early church there in Thessalonica is because they were experiencing persecution. They were going through some difficulties as a result of their faith in Christ. They were being persecuted by people. And so they thought they were going through the Great Tribulation. Paul comes along and says, no, 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 you're not going through the Great Tribulation. You'll know when it's the Great Tribulation. And he said, one of the things that you'll notice is there's going to be a falling away, an apostasy from the faith. That's what he says here in chapter 2. And he says, also, there's going to be the revelation of the Antichrist. Now, will Christians still be here to see at least the revelation of the Antichrist? It's possible, but we certainly won't be here when he comes to his full power. That happens three and a half years into the seven years of tribulation. But all of that, okay, and you can get pretty heavy-hearted. I mean, Paul's writing this letter to some believers to help encourage them in their new faith. And he's saying, by the way, there's going to be this guy that comes around. He's the Antichrist. He's this real charismatic political world leader. He's going to kill a bunch of people. So listen, take heart. And actually, that's where he shifts now into the last part of what we're looking at. And so here are some closing themes from the the last uh, half of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 that we're going to be looking at. Paul's basically going to tell them and tell us through, through this letter, stand firm, be encouraged, pray hard, work hard, and walk in God's peace and grace. Amen? So we left off last week uh, near the end of chapter 2, starting in verse 13. 
So starting in verse 13, and we'll, we'll get through the letter tonight, Lord willing, but this is what it says. Verse 13, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers. Paul writes to them. He's very thankful for them. He appreciates them. He says, brothers loved by the Lord. That word loved is agape. You're agaped by the Lord, the highest, most supreme kind of love. He says, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So he says, basically, you know, the things that we said to you when we were with you or the things I've written subsequently in a letter, we pray that you would be standing firm in your faith and hold on to the teachings that we passed on to you. All right, so in this section here, I'm going to point out a couple of things because what he tells us is that God is up to something. We see here in this text God's part as it relates to our lives, and I've put in in quotations the actual words that he uses here between verses 13 and 14, that God chose us and God called us and he has sanctified us by his spirit. So we're going to talk about that. What does all that mean? Paul says, that's true. But then he also emphasizes our part. And he's going to say in the same verses that we believed the truth and we are to stand firm in the faith and we are to hold on to the teachings that we have received. So let's talk about these things and what does it mean and how do these things work together in harmony. First, let's talk about what it means that God has chosen us. That's what it says again in verse 13. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved. So circle that word chose in your Bible. God chose you. God took initiative. God reached out. He chose you. The Bible speaks of this. Ephesians 1 verse 4, for example. Ephesians 1 4 says that God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now try to wrap your minds around that one. God chose us in him before the creation of the world. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, said, God had to choose me before I was born because he would never have chosen me after I was born. (laughs) But God in his infinite wisdom and in his all-knowing nature chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, God is outside of time and space. He's not limited or restricted to time. In fact, the Bible also says in 1 Peter 1, verse 20, that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to us in these last days for our sake. So you, you combine Ephesians 1, 4 says, we were chosen in him before the creation of the world. First Peter 1, 20, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but is revealed in these last days for our sake. And you come to realize that God operates on a whole different plane, and he operates outside of time and space. And the way that he operates is sometimes difficult for us to grasp. What does it mean that he would choose us before the creation of the world? The Bible speaks of our being chosen by the Lord. Jesus would say in John 15 verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you might bear much fruit. So there's this choosing thing that goes on in the heart of God as it relates to us. The Bible makes it clear of God's choosing 
But the Bible also presents the other aspect of this choosing relationship that God initiates, which is the other aspect of this passage here and having to do with our part, that he chose us, he called us, he sanctified us, that's his work, but that we also respond and we exercise some initiative as well in response to what God has first done for us. That's why we then, he says here, that and through belief in the truth, that's the end of verse 13, that's our part. God isn't going to make us believe. We exercise belief in response to what he has done, but that's our part. That through belief in the truth, verse 15 And so then, brothers, stand firm, that's the other command for us, and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So we are to stand firm, and the Bible talks about that in many places. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. Ephesians 6, 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Colossians 4, 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So God calls us in response to what he has done to believe the truth and then to stand in it. And not to waver in that, not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every philosophical thing and every cultural mood that shifts constantly, but we are to stand firm in our faith and we are to know what we believe and know why we believe and know whom we have believed, that we would not be moved. We have to be anchored in our faith. We can't be unsettled, and we need to ask ourselves and do kind of a very honest assessment of our lives. What are some of the things that causes me to lose my footing from time to time? When fear comes our way, or anxiety, or worry, or or the cares of this world, or all these different things that can kind of rush in and start to just, you know, play with our minds. Paul writes here, hey, listen, in response to what God has done in choosing us, we are to believe in the truth and then we're to stand firm and we are to hold on, he says there. That's the other word, to hold on to the teachings we passed on to you. So to stand firm in the Greek is stako, meaning to be stationary and persevere. And to hold on in the Greek is krateo, meaning to seize or to retain. We are to grasp something and not let go. And these two things work together, God's choosing and then our believing and standing firm in these things. This is not a contradiction. Some people get all hung up and they were like, it's all about God's choosing. You know, it's all about his sovereignty. And other people are like, no, it's all about your standing and it's all about your responsibility. And the fact of the matter is that the Bible meets in the middle of those things. And the Bible keeps those tensions intact. And, and it's not for us to come along and to get caught up in the extremes. Does God choose me? Yes, he has chosen me. Even before the foundation of the world. But I'm also to stand firm. I'm also to respond to what he's said to me through scripture by believing in that truth and then holding on to that truth and being unwavering in my faith. Those things are my responsibility. Those things are your responsibility. And so God chooses us, but we also have the potential to resist his choosing. Now, I know, again, to some of you, that sounds contradictory, as if it almost uh, makes God's power impotent that, well, he chose us, but is his choosing not strong enough to retain me? No, it is. But he chooses us not to the exclusion of our free will, but with the inclusion of our free will. 
In Acts 7.51, when Stephen, one of the first of the deacons, was being stoned to death, in Acts 7.51, his speech to those who were stoning him to death, he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart people, you are just like your fathers. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. It's possible to resist the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus would say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, when he laments over their disbelief of him. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, that I wish to have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. That is no reflection on the lack of God's power to choose, but it is also making room for the exercise of the will. Jesus said, But you were not willing. So am I chosen by God before the foundation of the world? Yes. And I can be secure in that. But do I also respond in belief to what God has initiated in his truth to me? And do I stand firm in that? Yes. And those things are not mutually exclusive. Those things work in cooperation. We just have to stop getting so focused on what I call the daisy mentality. You know how you take a daisy when you're a kid and you're wondering if you know, if your girlfriend really loved you or not, and so you're, or, or the girls would be like, is a boyfriend loves me or not? And so, and you pull a pedal at a time, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me, until you're left with hopefully he loves me or she loves me, right? And some people treat God that way. It's like, you know, I think, I think God's a pedal plucking God. I think, I'm not sure, does God love me? Maybe he doesn't. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You know, and, and then the insecurity of your salvation in that because you're concerned whether who's chosen and who's not. Don't get wrapped around the axle for that. If you want to be chosen, believe in Christ, and then you are. I mean, that's how it works. Just believe in Christ. And then you can be part of the chosen and part of the elect. When you see in Scripture, the Old Testament God clearly talks about how the Jewish people are his chosen people, but he speaks of it in a plurality. He doesn't eeny, meeny, miny, mo every single Jew. And in the same way in the New Testament, you see a similar parallel. It's the plurality of the church. We are the chosen. Don't get hung up on individual choosing. Second Peter chapter two, verse nine says that we are a chosen people a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that we would declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a chosen people. Don't get all hung up about individual choosing. Understand the church collectively is chosen as we exercise faith in response to what God has done. We are the chosen. And yet it works together in cooperation with the exercise of our free will. So, so that's what he's saying here in all of this between verses 13, 14, and 15. And then he adds in, in verse 16, and may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement. Now, if you have a new King James, it, it uses the word consolation. ESV uses the word comfort. Eternal encouragement or consolation or comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And the word encourage there in verse 17, in my translation, again, New King James and ESV uses the word comfort. And in the Greek word, it's parakaleo. And it's a great word, parakaleo, para meaning alongside, kaleo meaning to call. And that's the idea of encouragement, that God is called alongside of us. 
to comfort us and to encourage us. God is in the business of encouraging and comforting his people. In fact, in John 14 and 15, when when Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, and and the NIV uses the word uh, comforter, and in the King James uses the word counselor, and other translations he uses the word helper, okay? That word for the Holy Spirit, comforter, counselor, helper, is parakletis, which comes from the same word, parakaleo, because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us to comfort us, that God will not leave us as orphans, is what Jesus said, but I will provide for you a comforter, a counselor, a helper who will come alongside you. Isn't it good to know that in this faith journey, we're not alone, that God is our comforter and he wants to encourage us and And so when we pray, when we seek his face, God is so faithful. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our weaknesses, wherewith we can then comfort others in their weaknesses and in their struggles. Do you know why God will comfort you and encourage you through something you're going through? It is not just so that you can relish in the moment, which is wonderful when you just give thanks to God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for my encouragement and my comfort. But it is so that you will take that and then minister to someone else who needs encouragement. So that we can be vessels of his encouragement and conduits of his comfort that would flow into the lives and hearts of other people. So when you know God has comforted you and encouraged you, help somebody else. Look around for somebody else that you can tell is going through something and just maybe ask, is there any way I can encourage you? Is there any way I can comfort you? And take what you've received and use it to minister to others. Well, in chapter 3, he says, finally, brothers, so back to our list now, this is going to be number 3, pray, pray hard, because he says here in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brothers, pray, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. He says, you know, when I came to you and I, and I spoke the word of God to you, it was honored among you. So he's asking for prayer as he continues to share the gospel wherever he goes, you know, look, this, and I use the word success, I know that's kind of a somewhat secular word, but you'll understand what I mean. The success of ministry is the result of the prayers of God's people. We can't expect God to move unless God's people are seeking God's face and asking him. Move, Lord, on your behalf. Open the ears of people who otherwise don't want to hear the truth and don't want to receive the gospel. Lord, tenderize the hearts of our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors. Pray. Ask the Lord that it might bear fruit, that it might fall on ears that are favorable. And he adds in verse 2, and pray, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. Now, he doesn't mean faith like, you know, the gift of faith. He means, like, not everybody's a believer. Not everybody has accepted Christ. So he says, because of that, some places we go, the gospel is met with hostility. So he, he says, pray, pray for us where we go, that we might be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. And he adds in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Isn't that interesting? He kind of shifts from... There are some evil people who are opposed to and hostile to the gospel. But he says there's the evil one also who's in opposition to our faith in general. Of course, that's a reference to Satan. But he gives thanks to God. He goes, but God's faithful. Okay, Satan's not going to get the best of us. Because greater is the Lord, greater is he in us than he that is in the world, the enemy, who's the enemy of our souls. 
But it's important that we exercise prayer in the battle because when the enemy comes against us, one of the weapons that we have in our arsenal is prayer. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection. As Pastor Gary Hammer teaches through the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or want to hear more like it, you can visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app by going to the Teachings tab under the menu at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once you're there, you can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be so happy to meet you and to get to know your story. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we encourage you to read over today's passage on your own. Once you do that, plan to join us for the next edition, where Pastor Gary will continue teaching from this New Testament letter, here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.